you know, how do we differentiate ourselves? And we lean into what makes us special. And for Aditash, we are all about making it a fun and challenging place. It's not for the faint of heart sometimes. We have some phenomenal terrain that is steep and pitchy and New England style on our Aditash side, but great cruisy winders over on the Bear Peak side. And with the scenery that we have in that backdrop of Mount Washington in front of us, really proud of what we're able to do a little different. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester, New Hampshire. I am always happy to be back in one of America's greatest ski states. Epic pass holders, I hear you. This is the ninth storm skiing podcast focused on a Vale Resorts property in 2023. And New Hampshire, I see you as well. This is the 12th storm skiing podcast focused on a New Hampshire ski area. I just want to ask one thing of you in exchange for all this content. Please visit stormskiing.com and subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter. When you do that, you not only receive new podcasts before they sync with the podcast services, but you also get all of the additional content that I put together around the podcast. The conversation that you're about to hear is only part of this whole operation. The article that accompanies the podcast on stormskiing.com is going to really open up this whole Aditash world for you with maps, charts, and all kinds of additional historical tidbits and context. And the podcast, I am telling you, is the least of it. I am pushing out a minimum of 100 articles every single year, breaking down the world of lift surf skiing, and I am doing it all year long. I do not take the summers off like the majority of other ski publications, I just keep going. So please join me there and be the first to get everything that the storm pushes out. Please also follow the storm on Twitter slash X, Instagram, and threads at Storm Sea Journal. Before we get to Aditash and New Hampshire, a quick word from my sponsor, Aspenware. Imagine a future where 99% of your mountain products are booked online. Aspenware is the leading e-commerce solution purpose-built for the ski industry. They create customized e-commerce platforms that ensure resort guests spend more time doing what they love and less time standing in lines. Utilizing the team's extensive industry experience, Aspenware strives to make the resort booking process seamless with a mobile-friendly, simplified sales process that anticipates the needs of the guests at every part of their journey. Based in Denver, Colorado, Aspenware stands apart as an innovator. They understand the value that software and technology bring to a mountain resort, and they strive to create solutions so good they seem invisible. Visit Aspenware.com to learn more. Episode 153, Brandon Swartz, General Manager of Aditash, New Hampshire. For decades, it's been the roughest lift in New England skiing. The Aditash Triple, long, cold, slow, and cramped, the 1986 SeaTech Triple Chair crawled 6,200 linear feet up a 1,700-foot vertical rise in 12 and a half minutes which in a New Hampshire January could feel like 12 and a half hours. For a long time, Aditash ran a relief lift parallel to the triple. The top-notch double chair ran nearly to the top of the mountain from the base 
from 1968 until in 2018, Peak Resorts yanked that old hall chair off the mountain with no warning and little explanation. And then the triple chair broke, and not just for a day or two. Skiers endured most of the 2018 to 19 ski season without that lift. And since Peak Resorts, the owner at the time, forbid skinning the upper mountain during that outage, a big chunk of some of New Hampshire's best pure ski terrain was off limits for months. All of which is to say that locals were pretty grumpy by the time Vale bought the joint in 2019. Rough times followed, including COVID, a labor shortage, supply chain issues, and underwhelming snowmaking. But things are turning. Vale boosted its minimum wage to $20 an hour for last season, ending its labor shortages. They replaced the 49-year-old East-West double-double with a brand new fixed grip quad. Aditash added snowmaking to key trails. And at long last, Vale demolished the old Summit Triple this past summer, stacking a brand new high-speed quad in its place. Aditash is in a period of tremendous renewal, is what I'm saying here which is why we're spotlighting the mountain today. Let's go. My guest today is the general manager of Atitash Mountain, New Hampshire. Atitash delivers up to 1,750 vertical feet of skiing on more than 300 acres across two peaks. Prior to taking the top job at Atitash in 2022, he spent nearly a decade at Vail Resorts, working a variety of jobs at Heavenly, Wilmot, Wisconsin, and Hidden Valley, Missouri, most recently leading that ski area as general manager. Brandon Swartz is my guest. Brandon, welcome to the storm. So good to have you. How are you doing this morning? Excellent, Stuart. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on today. Just such a longtime fan and listener of your program. Appreciate the coverage that you provide to our sport industry. And yeah, just really looking forward to talk about Attach with you today and share our story. I appreciate that so much, Brandon. Thank you for saying that. I want to get right into the big project here. I think New Englanders have been asking for this for years and years. Atitash is finally getting a new summit lift, the Mountaineer High Speed Quad that will replace the Atitash Summit Triple. Why was it time to finally upgrade this triple, Brandon? And tell us about this brand new lift we're getting in its place. Yeah, thanks for asking, Stuart. We just couldn't be more thrilled, honestly, to introduce the Mountaineer Lift upgrade this season. You know, it's really aimed at enhancing that guest experience here at Atitash. Yeah, the, the Summit Triples had a storied path built back in 1986 and at the time just really offered great access to some of our signature terrain on the upper mountain area. And, you know, after we decommissioned the top-notch double back in 2018, it really became pretty apparent that with that sole point of access and as well as, you know, changing industry and guest expectations, you know, there were some maintenance issues that we needed to combat through the period of that lift that it was just really clear to us. It was time to to make that investment and coming off of the investment we made last year with the progression quad uh, out of the base area here as well. I uh, knew that the summit triple replacement into the Mountaineer was the next best thing and was really what uh, our guests wanted and what was going to be best for that experience for us. Yeah, this lift is a pretty substantial lift. You know, it's over 6,000 feet long, uh, 22 towers, and uh, it's going to really create an amazing experience up to the hill. I think one of the biggest sticking points for our guests was really that long lift ride time. And so that 18-minute ride time on average, or whoever you ask on a given day may have a different number, uh, but, you know, it's really going to go down to less than half that. So it's, it's just going to be such an amazing experience to get up onto that iconic terrain in the upper mountain on the Atatash Peak. 
And uh, yeah, it's it's really exciting and just a long line of lift improvements that we've had across the entire East and, and the company in the last couple of years. So new lift, new name. The It's kind of funny that the old lift was just called the Summit Triple. I don't know if that was just the marketing thinking of the day that you didn't need fancy names for lifts, but as Vale has been replacing lifts across the East, they've been changing the names and giving them a little bit more descriptive names. So tell us about this Mountaineer name, Brandon. How did you come up with that? What does Mountaineer mean? Yeah, you know, it's, it is funny. It, it is very simplistic in its origin before. And yeah, I think when we have these opportunities to look at new names, we always want to give an opportunity to really put some thought into it. Uh, you know, during my first winter season in 2022, one of the first things that as I came in, I really wanted to focus on was uh, an inclusive culture for our team and having our team the opportunity to be a part of these kind of decisions as they would come up. And so we actually put a, a reach out into the team and a naming contest internally to start with and gave our staff the opportunity to come up with uh, a long list of names. And there was yeah, some pretty amazing names that came up through that process. And then our, our senior leadership team whittled it down from there. So we kind of whittled it down to four finalists, as you'd say. And we had the Presidential Express, the Vista Quad, the Summit Quad stuck in there. Um, and then, and then, then the Mountaineer. And, uh, from there, we actually, you know, very similarly to involving our team, we wanted to involve our guest base. So we did last year, right around the Thanksgiving time period, put a, uh, a survey out to our guests and through our social channels and asked, you know, what is the crowd favorite? What is, what does everyone want to see from this name? And ultimately both the team favorite and the crowd favorite came back as, as the Mountaineer. And, you know, it really does pay homage to kind of the historical railways that have come through the Mount Washington Valley. You know, the valley's pretty synonymous with uh, Portland, Maine, the Maine and Boston Railroad system. And uh, it ties directly into that. And it's actually one of the scenic railway tours that goes through the valley to this day that the Conway Scenic Railroad operates. And it, it goes actually parallel to the base area. And any given day, you can mm. hear the the train whistle going right by uh, the base of the resort. So it was just very well suited to really pay homage to that. And it's also similar nomenclature that we have to the lift just adjacent to it, our other high-speed detachable quad in the base area, uh, the Flying Yankee, which also was another mid-century uh, railway line that that lift was named after. So kind of plays off of that, but then also, yeah, just opportunity to really focus on that. And that, you know, it's great for the Conway Scenic Railroad right now, too, as well as they do have a tour that goes right to the base of Attitash and resurrected a ski train back in 2020. And so that snow train actually operates on weekends right now. And it goes from the North Conway Railroad Station right to the base of Attitash. So if anybody hasn't had a chance to check that out, it's a, it's a really cool experience. That's pretty amazing. Is that just a local train or is that a train that comes up from Boston and then departs from North Conway? What's the extent of that train network? Yeah, right now it just goes out of the North Conway station and, and terminates right there at Attach and goes back and forth. But, you know, I know Conway Scenic is really looking at kind of how they expand uh, their programming. But yeah, it's just been great to partner with them on that. Do you know, Brandon, offhand, if they have a winter schedule yet? Is this something that folks can actually use as a commuter train from North Conway to come ski at Atash? Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head right now if it's open or published right now, but I know it's something that is scheduled on a regular basis. So I would definitely check out their their website for more information because undoubtedly uh, it'll be out there. And it's encouraged, absolutely, to help carpooling, you know, our commitment to zero. It's always great to seek alternative options. And it's gorgeous. I mean, just riding through the valley on that train on a beautiful winter day. It doesn't get much better than that. 
That's really cool. I recently hosted Cranmore General Manager Ben Wilcox on the podcast, and we talked a little bit about North Conway traffic and different efforts over the decades to alleviate that. And Ben has been in the Valley for a long time and has been a part of some of those initiatives. Just curious if Atatash is part of those ongoing conversations and if this train commuter effort is part of a broader regional effort to tame traffic a little bit. Ski traffic is not the problem in the east that it is in the west necessarily, but there are a few pinch points and North Conway is certainly one of those. Yeah, I think Ben spoke to it really well. Uh, I did have a chance to listen to that. And that north-south road has really made such a big difference for the Conway community. And yeah, I think this is a, just another great way to help alleviate that through the season. And I'd say we're always part of being part of those community conversations. And you know, we'll talk about housing in, in a little while, but you know, we're always willing to be a part of those and have that conversation to help alleviate that. But we always partner with the, the local businesses and the town to just try to alleviate that or create opportunities as much as possible. We do that with our team as well, uh, just to be able to be you know, good stewards of the environment and try to help with that. Yeah, that, that's really exciting. I've been pushing for more transit in the mountains and Winter Park has that great ski train up from Denver. And this is obviously smaller scale, but I think it's a really good start. And hopefully this acts as a pilot program for more similar initiatives across the east. You know, Brandon, you mentioned the Flying Yankee Quad, which is right next to the Mountaineer and and actually crosses over it. And an interesting feature of the Summit Triple and the Flying Yankee is that they shared a lift tower. So I I was wondering, just to be super nerdy on lifts for a minute, I I, I got to thinking about, gosh, what are they going to do about that shared tower? So what did you do? Did you saw it off? Did you put in a new tower for the Mountaineer? Did you put in a new tower also for the Flying Yankee? Kind of take us through that engineering challenge and ultimately how you were able to solve it. Yeah, that's a great question. I'll tell you, I could, I could nerd out on lifts with you all day, every day. Uh, it's one of my favorite topics, frankly. Uh, but yeah, no, definitely unique challenge and a unique characteristic of both those lifts. You know, that tower was originally placed with the Summit Triple when it was built in 1986. And then as they were designing the Flying Yankee, uh, they made the decision ultimately to, to create a shared tower out of the two. And so when it came time, as we looked into the engineering of this lift, we didn't feel as though keeping the share tower was really the right thing moving forward. And, and granted, every lift comes with, even though it remains on the on the same profile, center line, uh, you know, we did make the choice to make a span out of it versus a common tower. So the new lift will have two towers that will span over the Flying Yankee. And we also didn't want to make it too complicated where we were really adjusting or changing anything around the Flying Yankee. That lift works very well the way it's designed and built. So we ultimately did what you kind of said there, and we brought in an engineer to create a way to remove the upper section of that tower. Wow. And we partnered with an amazing team called Rigging National Groups, and they're out of uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, they, they came and safely installed this splinting system that was designed, and it was ultimately designed so that the tower could be cut in place, and it would splint that tower right where it stood. And then ultimately, they were there when the helicopter was hovering over it to be able to make the final cut and separations of that splinting system from the old tower and meticulously just lift it away. And it was pretty amazing to watch. We do have a a video on our social media channels and I'd encourage anyone to go watch it, but that team was just of the utmost professionalism and safety is, is, as we talk about, is always our top uh, priority and mindset. And so they did it with just absolute ease and it was great. It was really awesome to watch. And so now we've capped that tower um, right above where the lifting frame is on the existing line. And so, yeah, it'll just be this whole stubby shorter tower there. And then we'll have the new lift that just will span right over top of it. Gosh, that is such a cool story. You know, lifts are 
interesting because they look, they really are simple machines, but obviously they're getting more sophisticated and more technologically advanced. And given the nature of where they're installed, there's always an interesting story behind putting them in. I'm curious that cool little tidbit that you just shared with us in the context of this broader installation and construction project, was that the most challenging bit? How did construction go overall? And what else can you tell us about any challenges you may have faced putting this lift in the mountain? Yeah, it is a complex installation, not not to put too fine a point on it. You know, we've been going through the planning process for this lift, honestly, for quite some time. I, I try to tell people that the, the lift installation process, it does take a long time. And from the decisions you make to where to place it, how to design the top and the bottom and loading areas to the right machine, it, it's a process. And so one of the challenges that we needed to work through with this was access. And we did a lot of work to our summit access roads to be able to get a larger terminal and structures and machinery up the hill. So we did do a lot of work on the improvements to our summit access trail. And also industry standards have changed on how you install lifts. A lot of these lifts were built in different ways, and now we're doing full footers for every single tower. And Mm -hmm. so we needed to create these access points all along the lift line to be able to get specialized machinery in to do the work to get into this uh, rock. And for anybody that's been to Aditash in the past, you know, that lift line and that whole area, it's a rocky area. There's a lot of cliffs and a lot of granite. And uh, our team would say that we probably have some of the hardest granite in the granite state. Definitely created some interesting, you know, ways that we needed to work to get those footers installed. Ultimately, though, the project has gone really, really well. I couldn't be more excited to have it where it's at today. And Actually, this upcoming week, our towers are being flowed. The helicopter is actually arriving here today mm-hmm. to the mountain, and the towers are going to be raised here in the next couple of days. And you know, we're working our way down. So it's just been really exciting to see it all come together. Oh man, I can't believe I scheduled a podcast for Tower Flying Day. I hope I don't make you miss it. <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's all good. We got the team out there doing it all together, so it's awesome. So. I don't want to be too dramatic about this, but I'm not reaching here to say that the triple was one of the most hated lifts in New England. It had a lot of mechanical problems that predated Vail Resorts. It was offline for several months for more than one season under peak resorts. Everyone, I think, is very, very relieved to see this lift go in place. Vail's been aware of this. This is no secret to anyone. I think the company was getting a lot of pressure right away to upgrade that lift and was taking its time because it's a tough puzzle. So at a test, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a steep peak. It's also a tight peak at the top. And whenever the peanut gallery would beg for an upgrade, Peak Resort's answer and previous owner's answer was, well, that lift, that peak, because it only has a few trails coming off and it's tight at the top, can only handle a triple chair. That's the right chair for that peak. And that was the story for a long, long time. Vale has, after few years owning the place, decided that a high-speed quad, not only a quad, but a high-speed quad was the correct lift for that summer. So take us into the process here, Brandon. I'm sure a lot of deliberation went into this. Take us into the back room if you can, and take us into the process of how did you ultimately determine that a high-speed quad was the correct lift for Adetash Peak, that Adetash could handle that sort of lift in that space? 
Yeah, you're, you're right on that about uh, it takes a lot of deliberation and how we're looking at it. I mean, ultimately, it, it came down to the guest experience, as we talked about from the beginning, is really what we heard and what we were trying to solve for. And yeah, I think there's always going to be ways that you can work through, you know, what that capacity will look like and the, the change that it will make. And yeah, it is a bit of a, an increasing capacity from what the old lift is. And it's now going up to 2,400 people per hour up there. So we looked at a lot of different options. And, you know, ultimately, one of the reasons why why we chose a quad over a six pack as much as a six pack would have been great to be able to move people and even for the future of what we could do with further trails or, or widening or whatever that may look like ultimately land is the quad was the right experience to provide not only for that ride time but the capacity and being able to get to those trails but yeah undoubtedly there's going to be more people that are going to be going up there and so we were very intentional about looking at that and how we're going to manage that and at this point we feel like we're in a comfortable place with it and we're going to have to just continue to monitor it and watch it you know it really comes down to how we're going to be making snow in that area and making sure that we prioritize the terrain to get our guests where they need to go and especially get the trails open that really could carry the guests more but we do feel like we're in a pretty good spot with our comfortable carrying capacity capacity of our trail system as it stands and always opportunity to make it better. But we feel at this point, this is the right lift for, for the experience that we're looking to provide our guests. And we'll continue to make changes as we go. So right now, when you land at the top, you have three immediate options. You have a Black Diamond Wilfred's Gom, pretty legendary trail going skiers left. And then you can take an intermediate trail, Sacco off to the skiers right. And then there's another Black Diamond that goes down under the lift. Is there opportunity, Brandon, to cut more trails off the summit on your current footprint? Yeah, so we do operate under a, a U.S. Forest special use permit. And as you know, and many of your, your listeners, we do uh, require to have a master development plan that goes with that. And we do have a plan that dates back earlier that does show a couple trails that can be cut off of the western side. So that kind of goes towards the valley between Bear Peak and the Attach Summit. So there is opportunity of that moving forward. And that'll be one of the things that you know we'll look at as, as this flow becomes apparent to us and what that looks and feels like. Uh, but it is an option and an opportunity for us to continue to evaluate moving forward. So what would those trails look like? Are those intermediate trails? Are they Black Diamond? Are they, what can you tell us about that terrain? And if it starts and goes toward Bear, where do those trails ultimately land? Do they loop back to Atitash Peak or would it potentially be another connector over to Bear? Yeah, it would be more of another connector over to the Bear Peak, which would really help that flow and create another option to get to the Bear Peak side. I believe as it stands on the plant, as it is more of a an advanced intermediate trail, an intermediate trail system that goes through that area, it kind of rides a spine uh, ridge that goes down towards the valley and it would come out right, right more or less near the confluence of the Bear Peak and Attach Connection as it stands today. But it could really provide a different way to get to that side. How much of a priority is that for Vale Resorts? Are you just going to take a season with the Mountaineer and just see how it works, see how it flows? Is it a matter of Attach getting its turn for more capital investment after this big one this summer to be able to make that expansion. What, what would it take to get some movement on those additional trails off of Attach Peak? Yeah, as, as I've stated, it, it is really around like how that guest experience contributes to these enhancements. And it's not just our resort yet. It is all of our resorts, but it is how that experience will be impacted. So it's definitely something that we'll continue to monitor and look at it. It doesn't have a timeline to date as we talk today, but it is something that is very much on our radar is an opportunity and possibility. And 
as we see the need for it and as the experience calls for it, we'll definitely look at what that could look like. So what we got is a top to bottom high speed quad. And you said you considered a number of different options. What can you tell us? I'm curious if you considered a mid station around far out, if you considered maybe a two lift configuration where a high speed goes up to far out and then a fixed lift goes to the top of Atatash Peak. Just curious about the different, and you mentioned a six pack, the different configurations you may have considered and ultimately why you ruled those out in favor of this high speed quad. Yeah, great question. And and we did. As we look at all of these, as I kind of mentioned before, we look at a multitude of options. Um, There's no one way to slice a loaf of bread. And so we look at how we make sure that the right piece of machinery is going to the right location that that ultimately gives the best experience we can. And yeah, so a couple of those options were looking at two separate lifts, looking at a a lift with a mid-station. But when you get to the area at the top of the Flying Yankee, it is relatively small footprint up there. And it would have been really tight for us to be able to have an un load of another lift and add another load of a lift up in that space. So we didn't feel though that was really the right option. The the access that the Flying Yankee provides is great to what we kind of call our lower attached terrain. So from there, the far out area down, cathedral down, um, you know, there's a great expansive trail network in there that that lift provides. And we didn't really feel as though there was a need to create another access point to that area. And I'd say the, you know, the progression quad also helped to create a better access into that more beginner pod that we have on the Western side of the Adatash base area. And just felt as though for the guest experience that this is what we felt was the best option and what our guests wanted was a top to bottom route to be able to take one lift ride quickly up to the top and be able to make the laps and those signature trails that we have up there, come back down to the base and do it all over again. So, and I I have to say, it really complements the total lift package that we have in our base area. I think it's honestly a really amazing progression of lifts that we have going from our snow belt magic carpets to our learning center triple and with a new progression quad that we debuted last year for that beginner train. And then you can shift to the flying Yankee for more intermediate trails and then ultimately up to the summit. So it just felt like this is the right lift for uh, complementing everything that we're offering there right now. So Adatash rises pretty steeply off the highway and you don't have a lot of room in the base area. As a result, the summit triple was really almost tucked right against the road and there wasn't a whole lot of room in that loading area. It looks from the draft trail map that I'm looking at as though you moved the Mountaineer load station a little closer to the hill to maybe give a little breathing room. Is that the case? What can you tell us about the new load? Yeah, that is correct. We did do a complete overhaul, frankly, of the base area. And so we did move it uphill uh, by about 100 feet from the load point to the new load point. And there was more or less a, a hillside that we dug into in the base area there and then spread that out. So there's actually a really nice even grade behind the lift now that spans from Mm -hmm. the main base lodge all the way over towards the adventure center and the progression lift. And it's a, it's a much better experience to be able to go from one side of the base area than it was before. You don't have to climb up and around the summit triple, which you used to have to do. So yeah, no, the experience in the base area is going to be dramatically different and uh, should flow really, really well moving forward. Incredible. I think pretty much everyone listening to this who's ever skied at Atash or lives in New England or skis in New England is super pumped up for this one, Brandon. That's going to be an amazing upgrade. Do you have a sense of when this lift might open? I know you said you're flying the towers today and we are recording this for anyone listening on November 6th. So I know you have some work ahead of you still. Do you think this will be ready for opening day? Are you looking to get closer to the holidays here? Yeah, we're definitely aimed to open this for the Christmas holiday period. That's where we've kind of been targeting all along. And yeah, as of today, we are still 
well on track with that. Once we get the towers flown this week, the team from Lightner Palma, we're going to start working their way downhill. The top terminal is actually completely built right now. And so they'll work their way down the hill and start installing the, the base drive terminal here in the next coming weeks. And yeah, we're still on track for that Christmas holiday period. So really excited to debut it with everybody going into the holiday. All right. Amazing stuff. All right, Brandon, let's get into your background a little bit here. As I mentioned in the intro, you've been with Vail Resorts for 10 years, but it's funny if you go back, you actually had some stints at what are now Vail Resorts before they were Vail Resorts. And I believe you've worked at eight different ski areas, which is an incredible range of experience. So take us back to the beginning here. Where did you grow up and did you grow up skiing and, and how did you get into skiing as a job? It's been amazing. Honestly, I was born and raised in the Hudson Valley of New York and very fortunate to be in a skiing family my entire life. Actually, third generation now creating the fourth generations of skiers or riders in our family. Uh, you know, my grandfather took my dad up here to Mount Snow and, and taught him how to ski. This is where I learned how to ski as well. And now being able to teach my two boys how to ski in New England, it's pretty special. So yeah, we mostly were skiing in the in the Vermont area, mostly in the Northeast our entire life. I took trips up to Stratton, Okemo, Triggerbush, you know, some of these amazing ski areas in the Northeast. And my first season pass was actually at Bimini Peak in Massachusetts. And, you know, that probably really solidified things and, and took it off for me, uh, you know, in the progression of my skills and abilities. I was a late 90s, 2000s kid. I had my yeah. snow blades that I would take out and, uh, you know, go rip it up at Jimney Peak and yeah, I was just really fortunate to be able to grow up in that environment. And it really, uh, you know, it's something that just defined me at a person at such a young age. So what was your first job actually in skiing? Yeah, my first job ever in the industry was actually my first job in general when I was 16. Uh, you know, like many others in the industry, I started out skiing ride school, teaching four to six-year-olds how to ski. And, you know, to this day, those have been some of the greatest memories of growing up. And I did this all through high school. Um, I, I then had the opportunity to actually take on an operations internship right after I graduated high school for a season at Mount Snow. But I had the chance to work in a variety of different departments from grooming and snowmaking to lift ops and tubing. And actually, you know, going back and listening to some of your podcasts, you know, you said it best when you talk with Eric Barnes, who I worked with here in my time at Mount Snow, that, you know, that era at Mount Snow was a really special time in the industry. Yeah, I feel very fortunate to work with and be guided by many great leaders such as Eric. Yeah, Kelly Pollock here was here at the time, Greg Fisher. Uh, I worked with closely Doug Daniels over at Son of Peace, Scott Reeves up at Stowe. Yeah, many other prominent figures in our landscape today. You know, I had a, a really cool opportunity to, to be guided and led by them through my, my time in the set on snow here. So I was going back a couple of decades and here you are in 2023, still working and skiing and running your own resort, which I imagine your boys think is super awesome to have dad running the place. Take us through this journey, Brandon. Where did you go next and, and what kept you in it? Because it's one thing to start in skiing. It's another thing to stay in it long term. Yeah. How, how long do we have here, Stuart? This might take a while. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I will just say, like, as I kind of mentioned, is it's in my blood. It's what I love. I'm just extremely passionate about the ski industry and the sport. And uh, as cliche as it may sound, uh, you know, I get to do what I love every single day. And uh, I don't feel like I ever work a single day. But yeah, it's been an insane journey, frankly, to go through the last 21 years of my career growth. And yeah, it, it really all started here at Mount Snow. 
And then from there, you know, I had a really great opportunity to actually seek a college education in ski resort management and applied and got into uh, what was Winnin State College. It's now uh, one of the Vermont State College University campuses in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont for their ski recreation program. And I had a bachelor's degree from there. Uh, there's actually many other great leaders that you've featured here, such as uh, Cliffy over at Pat's Peak, who's part of that program as well in his time. But Nice. Yeah, that, it was great to really have a lot of connections from that program and uh, just the experience that I received from that, you know, I use every day, honestly, in, in my job now. And I can't recommend it more enough. I'll just put a plug into that program. Anybody that's looking to make a, a career out of the industry and, and wants to get a, a degree, you know, that that's a great program and like to be a part of it as much as I can nowadays. And yeah, from there, yeah, I, I spent most of my working time outside of school, actually as a patroller at Burke Mountain. And yeah, we worked really close with Burke with that's proximity to, to Lindenville and Lindenville State College. And then did uh, actually a lot of moonlighting on the side doing local fire and EMS. So I uh, was able to kind of tie those two things together for quite a while. Ultimately landing for a capstone project with this degree program was to seek an internship somewhere out in the industry and recreation. It didn't have to be at a ski resort. It could be wherever and landed actually at Keystone Mountain doing an internship in the race department there and the, the marketing team. And that was my first experience working for Vail Resorts, yeah, which is at the time, it was a smaller footprint of resorts. It was uh, only Colorado and Heavenly when I was working for them for my first role. I was just really impressed you know, with the way the business operated and the focus that was placed on the employee experience is something that always stuck with me, you know, the opportunities that I received while I was there. And it was just a, an amazing experience to have that be the first time that I really ever worked at a Western ski area. And coming back after that, I graduated my program and landed back east at Hunter Mountain. You mentioned one of our uh, resorts now here in the Bell Resorts profile, and it was a really amazing experience. This is where I would say I, I have my lift knowledge really comes back from my experience at Hunter Mountain. I had the fortunate opportunity to actually take what was the old Summit Lift after they put in the Catskill Flyer and reinstall that on the west side of the hill. It's now the Zephyr Express over on the west side. And I uh, actually had a big hand in helping put that back together with the team there. And it was just a really cool experience. And I'd also say, you know, such a pleasure to work with and be mentored also by Russ Colton, who, you know, as we know, is retiring and, you know, just wish him all the best in his long journey there. You know, he's left an indelible footprint on that resort and on the industry and just very fortunate to feel like I had the time to, to pick his brain and be a part of his journey as well from there. Yeah, it kind of goes from Hunter to wanting to grow and expand more in my career and really just kind of take that foothold into where I wanted to go as a mountain operations leader is really that pie in the sky of, and the golden egg of being a, a mountain operations leader in our industry. And as I was casting my net wide across the industry, I looked at all resorts across everywhere in the Western knowing we wanted to go West, me and my wife now at the time, and felt like it was best to yeah, experience it while we can and ended up getting the fortunate opportunity to land at Heavenly Mountain mm -hmm. at the lift operations department there. Started off as a assistant manager of lift ops overseeing the California operations. I know you made your way out there and it's a, it's a complex resort. You know, there's a lot of moving pieces and parts and boy, what an amazing time to be there. And we went sight unseen, packed ourselves in an eight by eight container and just moved 
move the whole clan across the country <laughs> to it. go experience. And we've never looked back. It was one of the first defining moments in my career. That was one of those steps that really has put me where I am today. And yes, fortunate to spend over six years in Tahoe Basin, working my way eventually to lead the lift ops function at that resort. And similarly, just many great leaders that I've reflected on that I've learned along the way um, that you've talked to, you know, Pete Sontag, who's now at uh, Sun Valley, as well as Mike Gore, who is now leading our uh, new acquisition over in Switzerland, Anamata Joan, and just had a great opportunity to learn from those leaders and be able to problem solve a very logistically challenging operation. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget my time because I've been able to see both sides of the weather spectrum in Tahoe. Right. Obviously, we, we know the stories going back from this year and it, it harkened back to my experiences back in 16, 17. And I was there during that that last big season that they had. And it's a lot of snow. It's a lot of work. You know, the teams pour their heart and souls into keeping those resorts open during those times. And, you know, listening to those stories this year just brought me back all those memories of shoveling and, and snow blowing so much snow out there. But boy, what an amazing experience. And then I saw the flip side. I saw a 14 and 15 season, which was the lowest snow year on record. So you never know what can happen in Tahoe. It's it's an amazing, beautiful, beautiful place. Expanding my career from there, you know, really looking to take on that next step. I once again kind of have one of those pivotal choices in my career of where to go next and what did that look like? And Ultimately landed out in uh, Wilmot, Wisconsin as a senior manager of mountain operations and given that opportunity by son of P GM, Peter Dish, to take on the lead role there for that team. And, you know, what an amazing place in the Midwest. And that started my Midwest journey where I was at for three years. And Wilmot's such a special place in the Midwest. And it's been around since 1938 when Walt Stopa founded it. And so many people have ties to Wilmot. You know, our CEO, Kirsten Lynch, talks about her experiences growing up and skiing there. Yeah, as I was moving across country, yeah, going to this place that I had never heard of before we acquired it. And so many stories of people, oh, yeah, you know, I grew up in Chicago. I, I learned how to ski at Walmart. Like, wow, how is so many people know about this little place just north of Chicago? And yeah, it's just absolutely incredible. And it is where, you know, the future of our sport comes from, these little ski areas that just really bring people up through the sport and grow it so much. So it was really special to be able to be a part of that team for a little while and ultimately had the chance to take on the helmet at Hidden Valley in Missouri just after the acquisition and through COVID. You know, and that was challenged to bring that through that time. And, you know, for everybody in the industry, that was you know, the hardest times that we've seen in such a long time, but so many great learnings that have come from that and the ability to learn and help that team as they integrated into the Vail Resorts family of resorts was just, uh, it was such a pleasure to be there and be a uh, part of that amazing crew of people. And yeah, really cool spot. If I mean, nobody's ever been out to just outside of St. Louis and Missouri, there's hills out there. Um, and it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty nice little ski area and actually the, the founding resort at Peak Resort for those that don't know. And it's this cool spot. And then brings me to today, you know, ultimately have the opportunity to align my personal and professional growth objectives. Um, my wife and I, as soon as we had our first in Tahoe, our oldest, we knew we wanted to get back towards family, just like many did at that time through COVID and, and had the chance to be able to align that personal professional side and took the helm of, of Attack in February of 22. And boy, you know, it's just been an amazing time. I felt very 
at home coming back to the Northeast where born and raised and love it. And just that connection uh, that I instantly formed with this resort and this team. And we have just an amazing group of leaders and individuals leading this resort. And I just could not be more excited to be able to take out a passion to the future. That is a really cool journey, Brandon. And one of the coolest features of it is that with all that shifting around, you've been able to stay with the same company. And Bill Resorts, their last several, I don't know how many, but several mountain head promotions have been internal and they continue to shuffle their staff around. I'm really curious to hear from your point of view, what that's like to be in that system and how Vail Resorts approaches individual professional development and creates those opportunities and encourages its folks to move around and learn a lot from a lot of different places. Yeah, it's a great question. And honestly, to me, one of the differentiators of our company is the focus that we have on leadership and leadership first. As much as we are in the ski business, we're also in the business of developing leaders. And I am a poster child for that development. And I couldn't be more grateful, honestly, for the opportunities that have been given and afforded to me. The investment in my development has brought me to where I am today, much sooner than I ever thought I would be sitting in a seat that I am in right now. So it, it is a huge part, an important part of our company growth plan and development uh, of where we're going is to create those internal leaders that know how to lead well and lead resorts. And it's such a huge focus of us. And the ability to move around and see these different resorts from many different perspectives is invaluable. I, I kind of did it almost the reverse of how some people do it. I, I've been able to see the complex operations of a large destination ski area and then how do you take that and translate that into a small Midwest ski area? And, you know, to be able to see it from so many different layers has allowed me to see the business at many different layers and, and really see like, what does it mean to be boots on the ground with the team out there making snow and grooming everyone, you know, jack of all trades at our Midwest ski areas to being a part of a bigger, grander operation such as Heavenly. And so that ability to be able to move through to different resorts and gain that experience. And, you know, we have a lot of fantastic leaders who have moved through different divisions, you know, even going from our hospitality division into our mountain division, the doors are open, you know, wherever you seek to go, whatever experience you want to gain, that opportunity is there and it's just invaluable. So I couldn't be more happy with working for the company and the opportunities that they gave me. And I encourage anyone to seek out if, if you're interested in. So how many of Vail's 37 North American ski areas do you think you've skied at, Brandon? I think I've skied at most of them, to be okay. honest. I think, I think there's a, a couple of them, you know, in the Midwest. I didn't make into every, I didn't make it to every one of our Midwest resorts. Yeah. And I honestly haven't had a chance to ski down at our Pennsylvania ski areas. But other than that, I, I think I've skied at pretty much every other resort. So it's, it's been cool to check that box off as I look at that list throw. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. So you've been around and seen all different sorts of operations. I mean, I don't think you could find two different ski areas from Heavenly and Hidden Valley, Missouri, if you tried. So with that context and with that perspective, and and as a native New Englander who grew up with that New England ski culture, talk a little bit about the unique challenges that Aditash faces as compared to some other big or small operations you may have worked at in the past. 
Yeah, you know, every resort has its intricacies and challenges and uniqueness. And I think that's just what's so special around the fact that each resort is so different. And, you know, Aztec has a, a rich history with decades of just passionate skiers and riders. Yeah, the terrain is unique. I think one of the things that I, I realized when I first skied at Aztec, I actually never had a chance to see it at attached before coming here was just the breadth of terrain and the variety of terrain we have. It's a really unique, fun experience. And yeah, with it comes its challenges as well. And I think one of those that we've seen over the last few years and one of the first things that I looked at was that, you know, our lift reliability and the overall guest experience and that we were in a place where we didn't really want to be and where the team, you know, didn't want to be and, you know, coming in and making sure that we made this commitment to changing that up. We had our summer commitment two years ago to really take a break and look at this opportunity to really focus on all the aspects of our business to make sure that our guests were getting the experience that they come to expect when they visit our resort. And so we're really committed with that, with these two lift upgrades that we have, as well as the the partnership with our community. Our communities that we live and work in are just so important to our success and making sure that we you know, have a strong relationship and a transparent and open communication with everybody was something that, you know, was really important to me coming into this role. So I feel like we're making the right moves and our experience is, is the best it's been in a while. And, you know, the Mountaineer is only just going to help further that. So couldn't be like, more excited for that future. So someone looking from afar at New England is going to have a hard time sorting it out. There are so many ski areas. And from the top of Atatash Peak, you can see several, Black and Cranmore. I don't know if you can see Wildcat, but I know you can see Mount Washington. You can also get to Pleasant Mountain, Cannon Loon, Sunday River, and Mount Abram within an hour or so. From your point of view, Brandon, and, and from Bell Resort's point of view, what makes Aditash special? How do you set this mountain apart in such a crowded landscape? Because it is a very challenging place to stand out because people have so many options. And I think that's what's so amazing about our area, right? And when I came here realizing that it's so phenomenal to be able to have all these choices. And yeah, yeah, how do we differentiate ourselves? And and I think I, I go back to what I was just talking a bit about around our terrain. You know, we lean into what makes us special. And for Aditash, we are all about that experience and making it a fun and challenging place. You know, you go and it's not for the faint of heart. Sometimes we have some phenomenal terrain that is steep and pitchy and New England style on our Adipash side, but great cruisy uh, winders over on the Bear Peak side and amazing learning train pod over at the Adipash Peak. It's a little bit of something for everyone. And, you know, with the scenery that we have in that backdrop of Mount Washington in front of us, it's really phenomenal to be able to grow our sport and create this amazing experience that it is. It's a bit different than those of our of our local resorts. And that's just what's so awesome about it. You can get a different experience or different areas. And I'd say too, you know, a, a big part of our history and culture is our embracing of the race culture that we have. You know, we have one of the premier race venues here on that Bear Peak side on our Illusion Trail. And yeah, really work collectively with our local Adatash race team, the Mount Washington Valley race team, Ben mentioned the other day as well. And so, uh, yeah, really proud of what we're able to do a little different and create a different experience than you're going to find at the other areas. So Vail Resorts, as I mentioned in the intro, owns four ski areas total in New Hampshire and seven in New England. You have Stowe and Mount Snow and Akimo over in Vermont and Mount Sunapee and Wildcat and Crotchet and Adatash in New Hampshire. And, and Wildcat and Aditash have been linked for a long, long time because Peak Resorts owned both of those and Vail acquired both in that acquisition in 2019. 
curious as you talk internally, and, and I've asked this of your colleagues out in Colorado and at Tahoe about how you think about these as a unit and how you think about them individually. And I mean this both from an identity point of view and a marketing point of view. I mean, are you trying to bring skiers up to experience Wildcat and Aditash? Are you trying to sell Aditash as a separate brand? I'm curious how you think about these within the portfolio and I guess even how they relate to some of your Western destinations. I imagine you get a lot of Boston skiers who also want to take a trip out West. So just talk a little bit about Aditash's place in the Vail portfolio, both locally and nationally and how you see that fitting in amongst its peers and its those bigger destinations. You said it well, Stuart, there. You know, it is different. You know, our resorts all are very different working under this collective portfolio of resorts that do complement each other at the same time. We have those individual aspects of our brand, of our resort infrastructure, and even our guest base that are different. The guest at Wildcat is not always the same guest as Aditash. And there's people that very much lean into that resort uh, but what we do focus on is making sure that we're providing an amazing experience consistently across all of our resorts while leaning into what makes us special. We're never compromising on the individuality of each resort and making sure that we're staying true to what is core to each resort, while also what you can come to expect when you ski a ride at a, a Vail resort. And that's really important to us. And so making sure that, you know, we're a part of that. I think what's great about the North Conway ski areas, you know, as a part of the Northeast portfolio is that opportunity to have your weekend trip and be able to come up from our metropolitan areas to our South Boston and New York and come and have the ability to ski at more than one ski area in 15 minutes apart. You know, so we do have a great opportunity for that. And it is going to be a different experience when you ski at both Aditash and Wildcat. And then also have that opportunity, and we'll talk about passes in a bit, but the ability to come and have your weekend trips up in the New England area and the, the northern New Hampshire area, and then be able to take that trip or two a year out to our Western resorts. It's absolutely an incredible value to be able to have that experience both ways and just have an amazing time. So yeah, it is very unique, and um, we're, we're excited to be a part of the, the bigger, grander portfolio of New England resorts. So Aditash has definitely been able to set itself apart as just a, a terrific classic New England ski mountain. As I said, though, it's a tough neighborhood. There are 100 ski areas in New England. It's those six states combined are half the size of Montana for folks who want that perspective. And it, it's not always easy to stay in business. There's a lot of lost ski areas in New England. We almost lost another one recently. Your neighbor, Black Mountain, which you can clearly see from the Aditash Summit, recently looked as though it would close after 88 years of operation. Fortunately, the Indy Pass jumped in, which is a partner of Black Mountain, and was able to help it through a bridge season as they found a new owner. Curious, Brandon, what your reaction has been as, you know, as a native New Englander, as someone who loves skiing, and, and also as someone who manages a neighboring resort. What's been your reaction as you've watched that roller coaster over at Black Mountain? Yeah, we were definitely initially sad and surprised to hear about the closure of Black Mountain. You know, I think regardless, at the end of the day, we all want to see each other succeed for the longevity of our industry and our sport in the New England area. And it's never great to see a resort that's not able to make it through. And just really excited and happy to see that Indy Passman and Benny came in to be able to make that commitment to help the Fishera family find a solution and get the resort back open for this year and ultimately look at, you know, what that long term, the, the right buy for that resort is to keep it moving because it's never a great day to see a, a fellow resort not be able to continue operations and to keep the resort off the list of lost areas is great to see and 
um, excited for where they go. All right, let's get back into lifts here, Brandon. Mountaineer is your second new chairlift, as you mentioned, on Atatash Peak in two years. And you mentioned the progression quad that you installed last year. Tell us about that project and how happy you were with that upgrade. Yeah, really thrilled with the progression quad and the experience it's been able to provide. You know, it was an instant hit the moment that came back online last year and you know, we opened with that lift and had our ribbon cutting uh, on that lift last year. And it's just immediately successful and able to bring that intermediate and beginner pod back online with a reliable lift, which is the progression has been really great. And that progression, as I've talked about between the snow belt and the learning center and the progression just makes for an amazing experience over there. So it's, it's been a great machine so far. Can't have any, uh, anything better to say about it, but it's, it's good to have it back. So that is a fixed grip quad. It replaced a double double and the double double has fallen out of favor. I think they look really cool and they're all over the Northeast, but Vale also upgraded some double doubles at Jack Frost and Big Boulder in Pennsylvania last year. So clearly not a setup that Vale is super fond of. And I appreciate Brandon that this decision was made before you arrived at Atash, but what can you tell us about the decision to swap out that double double setup with a fixed grip quad setup and ultimately why that makes more sense in general as you move ahead with new lifts for Aditash and Vail? I think, you know, really, as I had mentioned before a bit, was that the industry standards have changed. You know, the double-doubles definitely had their place in time where it, it made sense. And, you know, between ourselves and Jack Frost, Big Boulder, yeah, the lifts were needing to be upgraded and have a, a better overall experience and felt like these fixed grip quads, you know, have become just such a staple of lift construction across the industry. When you're looking at replacing these older lifts, putting in a fixed grip quad is a lot of the time the right decision for these areas that, you know, we're not looking to have this quick ride time or huge uphill capacity. It, it just, it works really well for the terrain. So yeah, ultimately that's why we landed on that lift and it's just going to be a great contributor to that, that part as we go forward. Curious, and, and again, appreciating you weren't here when this decision was made, but we've seen Vale upgrade certain beginner lifts that are shorter, such as at Breckenridge, with high-speed lifts. And the reason, even though it's a short line, is that they're much easier to load for beginners. Did you consider a detachable lift for the progression quad, which has a little over a 600-foot vertical rise, not a super long lift, a little over 2,000 feet, did you consider that just as a matter of giving those beginners that might favor that lift a little easier time getting on? And ultimately, why did you go fixed grip there? Yeah, uh, you know, we always consider what those options could look like in the right lift and, and ultimately just believe the fixed grip to be the best option. You know, we don't run that lift as fast as it can go. We definitely have it pretty well tuned into you know, the guest that most use utilizes that lift in our beginner and intermediate guests. So we've been able to create the best experience off that lift and just feel like that is really for the length of the line and the train and services, the best lift we can choose. Yeah, to, to underscore the point here, and, and if we can get into the weeds a little more here, the capacity that I'm seeing for this lift is 1800 skiers per hour. Now a fixed grip quad can pretty easily move 2,400 skiers per hour if you're running at a certain speed and you have a certain number of chairs. So what can you tell us, Brandon, about how that lift is configured to be more beginner friendly as far as number of chairs you put on? And you already mentioned the slower line speed. Yeah, it really is tailored around that focus on on the line speed and, and what that looks like. And also, you know, talk through the choice we made around the bars for that lift specifically, too. We did upgrade the chairlift bars for that to have a center pole for each 
of our guests that rides the lift and that helps continued efforts around safety of our kids on lifts program that we have as a company and ultimately felt like, yeah, that was just the right decision to make for that. And the capacity works well with the speed change to be able to create the best experience that we can. So you have a really great beginner progression. You have the Snowbell Carpet, you have the Learning Center Triple, and you have the Progression Quad, and then you have Flying Yankee and Mountaineer. So at Attach, it's for listeners who are not familiar, and you can see the trail maps on the article that accompanies this podcast on stormskiing.com, but Adatash is really two ski areas, right? They're connected, but there's Bear Peak and there's Adatash Peak. And I'm talking about the Adatash Peak side right now. So you have this really great progression of the carpet to the triple, to the progression quad, to the high speed quads. There's only one carpet, and we've seen this move toward progression carpets, where you'll have a series of carpets. I'm curious if you'd like to get another carpet in the Adatash base, if there's room for one, if you think that makes sense, if that's something you'd like to do at any point in the future. Yeah, long-term, we definitely want to look at how we're expanding our learning area across the resort. Definitely an opportunity that I saw as I started was this ability to be able to create a more progressive nature in our learning terrain. And yeah, that could look like adding an additional carpet at the Adatash base, but it also could look dissimilarly at the Bear Peak base as well. It's just looking at making sure we have that good progression of terrain and lift to accompany it and to continue to create an inclusive experience for anyone that wants to come learn. And I think then that's what's unique around Adatash is there is something for everyone in the entire family, no matter where they are on their senior riding journey. So yeah, we'll definitely look to continue to improve that as we evaluate our terrain moving forward. All right. So let's talk about Bear Peak for a few minutes. So Adatash opened in the 60s and for about 30 years was just Adatash Peak. In the 90s, Les Otten opened Bear Peak, and there are currently three chairlifts over there that all date to that era. Abenaki is a fixed quad built in 94, Flying Bear is a detach built in 95, and the Kachina Triple is a fixed grip triple that dates to 1997. Curious, as you have put all this work into Adatash Peak and really have about as good of a lift lead as you could want over on that side, as you turn your attention to the other side, What's your thoughts? How happy are you with the lift fleet over on Bear Peak? And long term, what would you like to see for upgrades over there? Yeah, I mean, right now we're we're very pleased with these lifts, and you know we're in continuous conversations about what future epic lift upgrades could look like at Anatash, and definitely Bear Peak would be an area where we could look at doing some of those lift upgrades. The flow of that base area right now, those lifts do contribute very well to what that looks like. You know, we've done a lot of great work on those lifts over there to get them all back to great operating condition. This past year, we put a new haul rope on the Flying Bear to really extend the lifespan on that lift. Uh, last year, we brought the Kachina Triple back online after it hadn't been operational for a couple seasons with a new drive and control system. And then, uh, you know, always continuous work on our Abenaki lift as well. So, yeah, that, that lift fleet is in a really good spot and it's positioned really well for that terrain. But, you know, as we move forward, it'll definitely be how does the flow and the overall guest experience dictate what we do moving forward to be able to make the right decision on what could be next. All right, let's talk about the mystery of the missing glades. So uh, <laughs> if, if you look back at your old trail maps at Adatash, as recently as 2020, there were up to 10 marked glade zones on the trail map. Those then went away for a few seasons. And then in the draft trail map that I'm looking at for 2023 to 24, which may or may not be live by the time I publish this podcast, I'm seeing a bunch of those glades come back, six of them. Some of them, however, are not back on the map over on Bear Peak. There's a, a area between Illusion and Crawford Path that was an old marked blade that's not there. Another between Illusion 
and Avenger and a few other areas that were previously marked as maintained glades that are not. Just tell us what's going on here, Brandon. What's the progression been like is in the thinking around glades at Aditash and what makes the map and what doesn't and what you're actually still maintaining? Yeah, great question. And and the, the glades do have a special place in our trail system here. And that's what we are excited to be kind of re- bringing them back to the new trail map that we've developed this year. And it does go back a bit to just the maintaining of these areas and making sure that we can call them, you know, marked glade terrain. So this year we are bringing back uh, the newly named Hunky Dory Glade that's over on the Adatash side uh, between Cathedral and the Grandstand area over there. And that actually harkens back a bit to the Hunky Dory Trail that was once in that area. And then we have the Parksville Glade that comes over in the Fair Peak area off the Abenaki Quad as well as the Lumberyard Glade and Broken Arrow over off Wandering Skis. So yeah, really excited to be able to get these back in the trail map and be able to kind of recirculate them out there. And we're going to continuously look at bringing glades online as it makes sense. We have to look at how we're maintaining these trails. And we, we are doing a lot of extensive cutting back of our trails and, and reclaiming a, a lot of that. That's our trail crew team in the summer has been doing a lot of work of, you know, Mother Nature always likes to take the resort back over. And so we're just kind of standing it back a bit and reclaiming these spaces. And that will always look similarly in our glade area. So look forward to seeing how we do that moving forward more, but excited to at least bring these these ones back online this year. So a lot of the local ski areas, Waterville Valley, Magic Mountain, for example, will do volunteer glade days. Is that something that Vail Resorts does where folks in the community come up and help out? Or, or is it because it's this corporate structure? Is it really that you rely on paid labor? to maintain the glades rather than maybe some of these volunteer days that some of the independent ski areas rely on? Yeah, for us, it, it makes sense for us to leverage our team to be able to do the work that's necessary in there. And you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's not always the easiest work and we want to make sure we keep everybody safe. So we do leverage our internal teams for that. We also have a, a subcontractor that we bring in to do some of our trail clearing and trail uh, brushing every year. And so we do leverage them a bit as well um, and their their extensive manpower to get in, in there and be able to clean some of these out as we go. So we generally kind of pick one a year and uh, our team and then we'll work together to get those back to a better skiing condition. So why did those glades go away? And, and when they did go off the trail map, were they still marked on the mountain itself that folks could ski them and you were just not trying to promote folks going in necessarily? What can you tell us about that absence for a couple of years of glades at all from the trail map? Yeah, I think as we were kind of going through the integration period, we were just looking at how that made sense to us. And they were unmarked and un, kind of named out on the trails as well. So as we look at what we're hearing and seeing from our guests, we just felt as though it was best to start remarking those again and bringing some of those back online to be able to create that experience they're looking for. So as you mentioned, your crews are focus on sometimes bringing back lost terrain. One opportunity that seems really compelling is the old top-notch double line. So this was a hall double chair that ran parallel to Mountaineer, but terminated lower on the mountain, a little lower on the mountain, still higher up on the peak. And up until a couple years ago, that lift line was still on the trail map. And obviously these trail maps are painted, right? So they're not exact representatives of reality. So it was not a marked trail, but you could see the lift line and now it's filled in and gone. Just curious, Brandon, because that is a pretty cool trail. If you're considering bringing that back in as part of the official trail network at some future point. 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting story <laughs> to see that. And as much as it may seem as though some of that could be skiable, there's definitely a lot of it that's honestly not. Um, you know, as we kind of was mentioning back around the mountaineer construction, especially as you look up from the base area and that kind of that top base there before you go back into the false peak of the resort a lot of that terrain is pretty challenging and pretty rocky and so it's it's not something right now that we're really having as a mark trail or probably would look at having as a mark trail moving forward just given its challenge and complexity of terrain but you know we'll always look at how we can expand terrain improve that guest experience when it makes sense and how we expanded those trails but i'll say that that won't be one that we would look at moving forward Okay, so like every New England ski area, Aditash is reliant on snowmaking, and you added snowmaking, I think, back to Wilfred's Gong a couple seasons ago. I think I had it a long time ago, and then it went away. Just give us an overview here, Brandon, of the snowmaking footprint at Aditash, where you're at right now, and ultimately where you'd like to get if you're trying to get to 100% coverage, or if there's certain trails you want to leave to natural snow. Yeah, you know, snowmaking is absolutely critical for us. I think going back to the some of the challenges that our resort has, we are actually at a lower elevation than some of our competitors. I think that's definitely one key thing that I would bring out is our weather can be a little bit more volatile. We do also see weather phenomenon called inversions quite frequently as well, where actually the base area of the resort will actually be colder than the top. And we can see some inversions that tend to go 10 to 15 degrees in either direction as we get the weather settling into the valley and uh, yeah really unique so snowmaking is incredibly important to us and that's where today we sit at 98 percent for our, our snowmaking coverage and we'll always look at how we can get to 100 percent moving forward our focus right now is really around the efficiency of our snowmaking system and really it's a big part of our commitment to zero is being as efficient and energy efficient as we can with it and how we look at replacing pipe and bringing in new snow gun technology that really helps us to make snow at any condition and brings back the trail system quicker and faster every time. So that's definitely where we're focusing our efforts right now. And that's always coupled with, you know, the amazing efforts of our snow surfaces team, you know, they're true professionals and really making sure they're getting out there and doing the best with what we have. And I just have to give a, a major shout out to that team because they can do some pretty amazing things to, to keep the trails going, um, even after storm cycles or rain and snow and thaw, whatever that may look like. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing to see the work that they can do. So the snowmaking upgrades are not always as obvious to us skiers in the public as lift upgrades, which, you know, it's hard to miss a new lift. Vail is going into four years of ownership or it's owned Aditash for four years now going into its fifth season of operating Aditash. What can you tell us about the snowmaking upgrades over these past four years by Vail Resorts at Aditash? Yeah, you, you mentioned Wilfred's Gom before, and Wilfred's Gom is one of those trails that we did bring online with snowmaking, and that's just been a fan favorite from the get-go. And the ability for us to have more than one trail off the top to be able to ski off from has been great. So we did add some snowmaking to that trail, and you know, we've been continuing to enhance the pipes and the snow guns and everything as we go along. And that's where we'll continue to focus over the next several years is just really continuing to modernize the snowmaking and uh, bringing up the best technology that's out there. And it's also the plan that goes into it. It's how are we making snow across our resorts and the different contingency plans that we can have in place to really be ready for those inversions and be ready for having the best progression of terrain, regardless of what the weather may throw at us. So that's a lot of the work that our internal team has been doing to make sure that we're providing the guests what they're expecting, what they're hoping for as they're, they're coming to our resort. 
Gosh, this is a lot of terrain to cover all these trails on two different peaks. What does your water supply look like? Do you have some ponds? Do you draw out of a local water source? And is that enough? What, whatever you have right now, do you have sufficient capacity to be able to cover the mountain or would you like to get more? We're definitely pleased with the capacity that we have. We do have a couple of water sources. We do have the Saka River and then we also have a large containment pond over our North Thorn Creek Conservation Area. Uh, that does feed the snowmaking system. Yeah, and that, that is that is really well suited for where we need to be right now. And it is more kind of that focus on how we can increase that capacity uphill through just getting the right pipe in the right location. All right. You mentioned that there were some lifts that you weren't able to run for a little while and there were some staffing issues around lifts. And that also obviously contributes a lot to your snowmaking. Atatash, like many businesses, had some struggles with labor and Vail Resorts tended to this by raising the minimum wage to $20 an hour across its portfolio ahead of the 2022 to 23 ski season. You know, I would imagine that in Summit County, Colorado, that made less impact than in New Hampshire, where that is a really good wage. So what sort of impact did that have, Brandon? Did the $20 an hour wage solve your staffing issues at Atatash? Yeah, you know, our, our dedicated teams are really that heart of, you know, our mantra of experience of lifetime. And, you know, they're, they're very passionate about our sport and serving our guests. So we felt it was absolutely critical that we make this investment in them last season. You know, as, as you all know, we have $175 million of incremental investment that we made into our employees and took that minimum wage up to the $20 an hour. And then we also have 21 for our patrollers and mechanics. And, you know, in, in New Hampshire specifically, we represented a 53% increase uh, in wages. So it took our, our kind of starting wage before that from 13 to this $20 an hour, surpassed even the state's minimum wage by over 36%. So it was a really good increase and made an impact to be able to draw team members into the resort. And really looking at those are the best people to work with us as well and make sure that, you know, we we provide a great wage and great experience. And, you know, we're also committed, as I know some of my peers have talked to, around supporting our employees holistically. And so, you know, a lot of the great benefits and perks that we provide as a company around affordable housing, these leadership opportunities and developments that you and I were talking about before, great benefits around 40% off our retail and rental gear. And then something that I'm honestly really proud of as a company that we do and this focus on free access to mental health services and, you know, just how critical that really is, not only in our mountain communities, but across the the country. And so it's, it's been amazing to watch our focus on wellness of our teams and what that benefit looks like that we can provide. So let's get into housing a little more. It's not quite the issue in New England that it is in the Mountain West. Nonetheless, there are housing shortages pretty much everywhere right now. So take us into the local community here, Brandon. What does the local housing market look like and what is Vail doing to help its employees with housing locally? Yeah, we're, we're continuously looking for opportunities to assist with housing locally. Over the past few seasons, we partnered with a local lodging properties in the area and we actually have a lease agreement in place with a local hotel to lease out a back part of their property for our staff every winter. And so we've been doing that now here for the last three winters. And we also have a, uh, some handshake agreements with other 
local partners as well to be able to provide some competitive housing rates to be able to help quell this problem because it is a problem in all of our communities and we're really committed to uh, making sure it's a priority and a focus of ours as we move forward. You know, I work very closely with my counterpart, JD, up at Wildcat and, you know, we're looking very similarly on what does that look like in, in their backwoods as well in the Coas County, Borland, Gorham area and how we can make sure that we're providing housing solutions for our teams. Yeah, we really are going to continue to make sure that we're focusing on this moving forward. We want to be a part of the conversation and being a part of the Mount Washington Valley Housing Coalition and really driving for local change and support and how we can bring affordable workforce housing into the Mount Washington Valley for everyone, not just for our resort, but for all businesses in the community to help solve this challenge. How much do you collaborate with Wildcat in general with employees? Do you share employees with certain departments, lifts or whatever, if you need some coverage, do you call on each other to assist or do you keep those things pretty separate? No, honestly, we have a extremely strong collaboration between Wildcat and ourselves. Uh, we do actually share quite a bit of our staff. Our senior leadership team is actually shared between the two resorts and JD and I collaborate on a daily basis, frankly. And and that's sharing those resources. Uh, and I think that's, again, another differentiator of our company is this ability to share resources. You know, even if the resorts aren't 15 minutes down the road like we are, the ability to reach out to other resorts here locally, even in the Midwest, you know, I'll highlight some of the sharing that we've done even for the Mountaineer project. We just most recently brought in a crew from the Midwest, from Afton Alps, Paley Peak, and Mad River, to help support Leitner Palma in building our lift towers for this upcoming fly date this week, uh, leveraging teams from Mount Snow, Sunapee, Okemo to help with deck building and for deforming our lift towers. It's amazing how much we can reach out and rely and support each other uh, in these times of need, the sharing of best practices. It's just an absolute game changer for how you know we can partner with each other and, and Wildcat and us are just extremely close in how we can collaborate. All right, Brandon, let's wrap up today with a talk on the Epic Pass. There's all kinds of Epic Pass options for Aditash skiers. When Vale purchased Peak Resorts, it had attained a critical mass along with the purchase of Stowe and Mount Sunapee and Okemo from Triple Peaks, a critical mass in New England. And it launched these really great Northeast specific Epic Passes. There's the Northeast Local Pass, which gets you unlimited access at pretty much all the mountains, except for the Vermont ski areas and Hunter, where there's some blackouts. And then there's a midweek pass as well. The Northeast Value Pass, which debuted at just $555 for the 2023 to 24 ski season, acts as an unlimited no blackout season pass at Aditash. Curious why that's the right level for Aditash. I'll be honest, I think Vale is underselling this place a little bit. I think Aditash and Wildcat sort of get lumped in with the Pennsylvania ski areas, and I, I really don't get it. I think these are really, really terrific ski areas that ski really well. And think that they're more on the Okemo, Mount Snow, Stowe level than, you know, Seven Springs or Jack Frost, Big Boulder. So it's always interesting to me how you arrive at these levels of access. So from your point of view in Vales, why is that Northeast value pass the right unlimited access tier for Aditash? Yeah, it's a great question, Stuart. And honestly, as you know, we're just trying to make this sport as inclusive as we can and creating these different opportunities and range of options for our guests to be able to consider. Really just, we believe it makes the most sense. And so when it comes to our resort, we feel as though, you know, the midweek value pass is just such a critical product in helping to create a place for our guests to come 
and be able to try our resorts out and be able to have just an amazing experience across it. So we feel as though the past model works really well for our resorts, honestly, and uh, really deepens that guest commitment and driving for getting into a season pass. You know, it's a core part of our business is our past products. And we feel like this past product is a great way to help drive that. What can you tell us about the popularity of the Northeast specific Epic Passes? I know the company doesn't break these out in particular, but do you see a lot of folks taking advantage of these products? Do you see more people who get an Epic Local or full Epic so they can also go out West? How how popular are these products? Yeah, I can't obviously speak to the direct numbers, but we do know that our guests are taking advantage of a variety of our different pass options to that just best works for their situation and what that looks like, whether that be the Epic Local or Northeast Value Pass, or even all the way down to our Epic Day Pass, which you know creates an opportunity for folks to buy a one to seven day season pass to be able to experience the resorts and get all the benefits of a pass holder. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing a lot of success with that. And I think you can hear from some of our partners as well. People are looking at all their past options and figuring out which one works best for them. And I think it's just great that we have a variety of different options to tailor in uh, with what works best for that guest. Now, I want to bang the drum on this Epic Day Pass a little bit more that you just mentioned. This thing is an incredible deal. And, and again, I, I think it's a crime that Aditash is on the cheapest one, but you know what? People should take advantage of it. And right now, these are tier four prices. And Epic Day Pass for a non-holiday at Aditash for one day is $54. For a kid, it's $27. And if you go, you can go all the way up from one day to seven. And if you get up to seven days, it's $301 for an adult and $150. For a kid, so you really don't even have to go as high as the Northeast Value or the Northeast Midweek Pass to get access to Aditash. And I know folks, including me, harp on the cost of the walk-up day ticket, but the truth is, you can get a phenomenal deal at Aditash with that Epic Day Pass. Are you finding people are, are discovering that and taking advantage of that? Yeah, that Epic Day Pass is just such a great deal. And we really want to use that as a way for people to experience our resort on a schedule that makes sense for them. And I think that's what's really great about these Pass products is you don't have to lock yourself into a given day. You could pick how many days you want to try to experience any of our ski areas. And you can use that those seven, one to seven days anywhere. And I think that incredible value just helps to drive that experience for our guests. And we do have a lot of great values of being a pass holder, whether it's pass holder first tracks to all of our discounts that you get in our food and beverage and retail rental operations. Um, it's just a, it's an incredible value to help drive um, this opportunity to try something different and go to different resorts. And we're excited to be a part of that because I, I really want to have people get the opportunity to come up and experience what Adatash has to offer, especially with the new Mountaineer. It's going to be an amazing experience and we're just happy to be a part of it. All right, Brandon, with that, I will let you go. I know you got lots to do and you probably want to pop your head out the window and watch them fly those towers. So I will let you go, but I will see you hopefully at the Mountaineer opening. I And if not there at some point this season, I appreciate the time and the insight. I hope you have a really great and snowy year up at Atatash. And I thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, Stuart, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate it. And we definitely hope to see you up there soon.
That's Brandon Schwartz, General Manager of Atitash Mountain, New Hampshire. Tremendous job, Brandon. I think Atitash Nation is going to love what you had to say there. And I think the Mountaineer is going to be one of the most transformative lifts in America this coming winter. Thank you all very much for listening. I have started booking podcasts deep into 2024 already. East Coast, I recently booked podcasts with Berkshire East Catamount owner John Schaefer and Whiteface General Manager Aaron Kellett. You will also be hearing from the leaders of Sunday River, Big Sky, Red Mountain, Mount Bachelor, Sugar Bowl, Panorama, and Arapahoe Basin in the new year, among many, many others. To get these new episodes the moment they are live, please visit stormskiing.com and subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter. New pods appear in your email box several hours before syncing with the podcast services, including Apple and Spotify. There are free and paid tiers of the newsletter. And paid subscribers receive podcasts seven full days before everyone else. You can also follow the storm on Twitter and Instagram at Storm Steve Journal. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.